Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Everything Under the Sun, the AccuWeather podcast. And I'm your host, meteorologist Regina Miller. Speaking of everything under the sun, one of the things under the sun, well, skin cancer. Unfortunately, a lot of folks, uh, and actually the numbers going up on skin cancer, according to experts. Today, we're talking about melanoma, different types of skin cancer, how you can be safe, and some new advancements made in technology. Stay with us. I'm joined on the phone now by Dr. Julie Karen. She's with the Skin Cancer Foundation. Thanks for joining me on the phone today, Dr. Karen. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad that you took some time to talk to us because with summer and a lot of people out, you know, outdoor activities at the beach, I thought it was an important time to maybe talk about skin cancer. And can you tell me about the Skin Cancer Foundation? Like, how did it begin and how did you get involved? So the Skin Cancer Foundation was founded um, in the late 1970s by Dr. Perry Robbins. He's a real pioneer in the field and he's a mentor to myself and so many others who specialize in skin cancer. He um, is a skin cancer surgeon himself. He's now retired from clinical practice. But even from early on in his practice, he sort of recognized this need for increased public awareness about the importance of and how common skin cancer can be. So he, um, he was one of the first people to really recognize the link between sun exposure and um, its potential carcinogenic effects, so how it can lead to skin cancer. And because sun exposure is such a modifiable risk factor, he recognized that there was this real need for public education about the dangers of sun exposure and how one can best protect themselves or minimize their risk of developing skin cancer. Also, how they may recognize skin cancer should they have it and how best to pursue treatment. So he founded this, he started the Skin Cancer Foundation with his own money. Uh, he just was passionate about its mission, and he put together a, a group of advisory um, physicians and hired one part-time employee. And since 1979, which is the foundation's inception, it really has blossomed into this hugely influential um, organization, and it remains to date the um, only uh, global not-for-profit organization dedicated solely to educating the public about detection, prevention, and treatment of skin cancer. I always assumed that, like, skin cancer and melanoma were one and the same. They were the same thing that we were talking about. So when we think about skin cancer, um, and this is something that educates patients about on a daily basis, but there are three most common types. The two far and away most common types are not melanoma. They include basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma. These are keratinocytic cancers, um, but they are not melanoma, which is what people think of when they think of skin cancer. By you know comparison to melanoma, they are much less dangerous and much less commonly fatal, although when neglected for a very long time and in certain instances and in certain individuals, they can be. Um, melanoma is the third most common form of skin cancer. The same type of individual generally is prone to all three types of skin cancer, but melanoma is the one that if not caught early, really can turn quite devastating and even fatal pretty quickly. So although melanoma is the third most common form of skin cancer, 
third after basal cell and squamous cell, it is the most dangerous. And if it's not caught early, if it's not detected early, it can be devastating and even fatal. And so it's the one that people think of the most when they think of skin cancer. And because of its potential to become so serious so quickly, it's the one that we spend a lot of our efforts educating the public about in terms of early detection. What would be the difference um, if you're looking at your own skin? What's the difference in what it looks like, um, like the basal cell or, you know, the melanoma? What are signs to look for? What makes skin cancer so unique is that it does show its signs visibly on the skin. So we, you know, can spend a lot of time telling people what to look for. A basal cell or a squamous cell will more commonly look like a pink, red, or white, scaly, um, or sometimes bleeding uh, spot or bump on the skin. So we say a pimple that doesn't heal, a sore that doesn't go away, something that you thought was dry skin, but you moisturize for a few weeks and it's still persistently dry. You pick at it and it comes right back. So it will look more like a, almost like a rash or a pimple, but red, scaly, um, easily bleeds with minor trauma. Um, it can occur anywhere in the body, but it does most commonly occur in the areas that receive the most sun cumulatively over one's life. So the head and neck is a very, very common area. The backs of the hands is a very common area for squamous cell carcinoma. Um, but the chest, the legs, I mean, there's no part of the body that is immune from any of these skin cancers. But a pimple that doesn't heal or a sore that won't go away. Melanoma, on the other hand, looks more typically what people would consider a mole or a nevus. So very commonly, although not always, it is brown or black. Um, the way that, a, you know, a birthmark, I'm trying to use phrases that people commonly think, oh, this is a mole or this is a beauty mark or a birthmark. So it has some pigment in it because mel- melanomas are comprised, they're made up of the cell type, melanocytes, that produce pigment within the skin. So almost always, but not always, they are brown or black in color. And we have a mnemonic that we, you know, tell the, the public to help them to identify what lesion, what type of mold may look more concerning for a melanoma or something that may turn into a melanoma. And the mnemonic is called the ABCDEs of melanoma. So A stands for asymmetry. Benign or banal molds or nevi generally are symmetrical. You fold them one half and the other, it will match evenly. Whereas an asymmetrical lesion represents a little bit more disorganized and more likely to be atypical or a melanoma. B stands for border irregularity. So whereas benign molds often have a very smooth, round, or regular, well-demarcated border, a melanoma will have a more jagged, irregular scallop. Um, you, know, you can't just draw a smooth, even circle around it. Uh, so the borders are irregular. C stands for color variability. So benign neva usually are one shade. It might be light brown, it might be dark brown, but generally one shade. Whereas melanomas more commonly are more heterogeneous. They have multiple colors within a single lesion brown, black, white, blue, uh, purple even, red. So multiple shades shows more disorganization again and therefore more likely to be a concern. D stands for diameter. Um, Anything larger than a pencil eraser, you should pay closer attention to because it is more likely to change or be a melanoma. But I always tell people small lesions can also be melanoma and our goal after all is to catch them as early as possible. So don't ignore a lesion that is smaller than a pencil eraser just because it's small. If it's exhibiting those other features, they'll bring it to medical attention promptly. And then E for evolution. If anything's changing, and this is the take-home message for anyone out there, you 
get mold, most of your moles during childhood and young adulthood. You may continue to get a few new moles later in life, but those new lesions that develop should just come and be stable and they should blend in with everything that you have. If you have a new spot that is growing or darkening or the borders are changing, or a spot, even one that you've had your entire life that begins to change in terms of size, shape, color, or symptoms, that could definitely be a concern of a concerning or malignant lesion and you need to get it checked immediately. Um, there has been a, a steady trend, you know, an increase in melanoma. Thank goodness there's also an increase in early diagnosed melanoma. So we definitely, some, though not all of the increased incidence is attributable to public education, such as the efforts on, you know, that the Skin Cancer Foundation has made, but, you know, lots of people becoming more aware of this. So people are bringing their concerning spots to medical attention more quickly. So some of them are just, we're catching them earlier, but even across all stages, even across the more advanced stages, there has been an increase in melanoma. Um, we estimate that in this year, 2019, there will be over 192,000 new cases of melanoma diagnosed in the U.S., um, and that represents you know, a significant increase over the last several years. The sun does seem to be getting more intense. Um, you know, people are constantly remarking, and because it's true, how much more quickly, um, even in what were typically considered more temperate you know, parts of the world, you can acquire a sunburn or you know, get sun damage. Um, you know, people burn much more easily to think that the intensity of the UV radiation being emitted by the sun is, that's reaching Earth is increasing. Um, we attribute a lot, a large portion, because there was, um, there has been in the past five to ten years a strong increase in the number of melanomas diagnosed in young women. And we do think that the tanning industry, which is a over billion dollar industry, um, you know, indoor tanning that is, was definitely in part attributable to that increase. Thankfully, the Skin Cancer Foundation and others have made a major strides in trying to regulate these and preventing, you know, children from being able to go without consent from an adult, you know, and limiting, you know, having the access on college campuses to tanning beds. But tanning beds definitely um, seem to be attributable for the increase that we saw among young women as this became a massive trend, you know, pre-prom, pre-vacation, get a quote-unquote face tan before you go away, and people were frequenting the tanning salons, and we think that was part of it, too. So you kind of answered my next question because I was wondering if sun was the only cause. So it's not the only cause. Um, UV radiation we think is responsible for about 86% of melanomas and about 90% of all skin cancer. Now, there, every once in a while, when I do a full skin check on a patient, you know, we look in every nook and cranny. Invariably, it raises the question, how could I get, you know, skin cancer there if it's from the sun? And the answer is the vast majority is from the sun, but there is a genetic component, too. A genetic component interplays with the sun, meaning if you have a family history of skin cancer, you yourself are at increased risk for skin cancer, and you need to be extra careful in the sun and extra careful about getting checked you're more likely to get skin cancer anywhere. But there are some skin cancers that are just sort of genetically wired that are not from the sun. Um, we don't know all the risk factors involved. I mean, some of them, they can occur in scars, like burn scars or areas of radiation or other cancer treatments or just sometimes seemingly spontaneously. So there is a component that's not the sun, but the vast majority are from the sun. Are some people more prone yes. to it because of their skin type? Absolutely. Um, those most at risk for skin cancer, for all forms of skin cancer, are individuals with fair skin, light eyes, light hair, a tendency to freckle in response to sun exposure. The ability to burn rather than tan does put you at an increased risk. You know, people with red hair definitely, um, 
you know, are, are at increased risk relative to those with darker hair. People who, you know, have a family history of skin cancer are absolutely at increased risk again because we know that both for non-melanoma skin cancer and melanoma there is a genetic component. So those with a family history of skin cancer are at increased risk. We are seeing an increase in skin cancer among darker skinned individuals um, as well. And unfortunately, because people have this misconception, oh, I have dark skin, I have sunburn, I'm not at risk for skin cancer, they are not protecting themselves. So they're getting more unprotected sun exposure or UV exposure. And they're ignoring the signs that, you know, because they think they're not at risk. So they may have a sore that's not healing or they may have a dark spot, but they're not bringing it to medical attention. And so unfortunately, Skin cancers in individuals with darker skin are generally diagnosed at a later and more dangerous stage. So there is this important message that needs to be conveyed to all skin types. There is no one not at risk for skin cancer. Everyone should protect themselves. So let's talk about how to prevent it. Tell me the difference between, you know, like UVB and UVA and, and what people should do about sunscreen. The sun emits three major types of wavelengths, but the two relevant ones when we talk about the skin are UVA and UVB because those are the two that really penetrate to the Earth's surface. The UVA, ultraviolet A radiation, is the longer wavelength of rays that are coming from the sun. So they penetrate through clouds. They even penetrate through glass windows. Because they're longer wavelengths, they travel greater distances and they're more potent. So they can get through clouds, through glass. They're present year-round. Um, and they comprise the vast majority of the UV rays that are present at the Earth's surface. UVB are shorter in wavelength. They don't have as much strength to get to the Earth's surface as much, although some of them definitely do. The UVB, although it's a smaller proportion, the rays that are hitting the Earth's surface are very, very potent when they do hit your skin. And those are the ones that are vastly responsible for sunburn and a lot of sun damage. So we we often think of UVA as the longer wavelength, they penetrate a little deeper, they cause more damage to the skin, they can cause aging of the skin. UVB cause sunburn, but both UVA and UVB have been shown in numerous, numerous studies to cause skin cancers. They both damage DNA, they both cause cellular changes that can lead to skin cancer. When you're looking for a sunscreen or sun protective, you know, something that protects you from the sun, you need to make sure that you're getting both protection against UVA and UVB. SPF, which is the number that's been around for decades on sunscreen bottles and whatnot, only refers to the product's ability to protect against a sunburn, against UVB. So if you had an SPF, it didn't mean that it protected you from UVA at all. It only meant it reduced your risk of a sunburn. Now, in the past several years, the FDA has changed the way that sunscreens can label, manufacturers can label their bottles, and now they have to state broad-spectrum coverage, they can only state that they protect broad spectrum, they protect against UVA and UVB if they demonstrate proportionate protection against both. So SPF will refer to how well it protects against UVB, but if the product says broad spectrum or UVA and UVB, then you know that it's also offering proportionate protection against UVA rays. So that's the first thing, broad spectrum. You also want to look for an SPF that's at least a 15, and ideally even higher, just because no one applies sunscreen as liberally as they should, so you're not getting as much of a protection factor as you should. So a 15 or higher, um, and you ideally, if you're expecting any prolonged exposure to the sun, whether you're going to be sledding, perspiring, or swimming, or on a boat, any prolonged exposure other than just a casual walk to work, you want to opt for something in the summer that's water-resistant. So broad spectrum, 15 or higher, and water resistant. 
And sunscreen needs to be applied liberally. So you should be using a shot glass to cover your whole body. And you should be applying that same amount every two hours. It's no sunscreen, no matter the SPF, no matter how broad spectrum it is, should be considered effective after two hours outside. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Karen, for talking to us. And if people are looking for more information about the Skin Cancer Foundation, where can they find you? Uh, the skincancer.org is an outstanding website that uh, provides lots of patient and public education materials about, again, the importance of protecting yourself from skin cancer and early detection. Thanks so much and enjoy your summer safely. <laughs> Same to you. Now for a look at advancements in treatment and some new technologies, I'm joined on the phone now by Dr. Laura Ferris of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Ferris. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, you have uh, extensive experience in dealing with skin cancer, and I wanted to ask you, what do you think the future of melanoma treatment looks like? Will there be changes with that? You know, there will be. So melanoma has been a very fast-moving uh, field. Um, so there's sort of a few really important points about melanoma treatment. So it used to be that when you had advanced melanoma, we said, we're so sorry, um, you know, get your affairs in order, talk to your family. We have some heroic things we can try, but wow. by and large, um, you're, you have a, a few more years to live and there's not a whole lot that we can do. And even those things that we could do had a lot of toxicity. They'd make people feel sick. Um, and so it was really a, a kind of devastating uh, diagnosis. Um, however, we do have more therapies that, um, that are available now. So for this is, again, for people with late-stage disease. So it's the minority of patients. Most people have early melanoma. So it's the but worst if that cases. Melanoma has, right. These okay. are the worst-case scenarios. These are the people whose melanoma has spread to, you know, their liver, their lung, maybe their brain, or even um, just to their, their draining lymph nodes. So it's the melanoma that's gotten away from the skin. So it's a little later stage. We have a couple different ways that we approach this. So one is that we have something called immunotherapy. And so these are drugs that actually stimulate the immune system to recognize that melanoma and to attack it. So if you th we think about our immune system as being something that protects us from viruses or from bacteria, um, or from things that are um, that would be foreign to us, but really our immune system's job is to protect us from anything that might um, that that could harm us, that could look different from our normal cells. So it turns out that our immune system plays a role in treating uh, in keeping cancer in check. So when you have cancer, it is one of your cells getting a, a mutation or change in the DNA that makes it look different, makes that cell act different. Differently, um, but it's actually something that the immune system can recognize just like it would recognize a virus. It can recognize a new or changed protein within your cancer and uh, kill it. Now, the tumors are very, um, you know, cells like melanoma are very smart in that they find ways to shut down the immune response or to shut down the immune system. Um, we have found that uh, there have been new drugs that have um, been developed that can actually work against sort of the um, the tumor's attempt to thwart the immune system. So 
these result in your immune system being able to recognize that melanoma as something harmful and to actually kill it. So it's sort of your body taking care of your cancer. It's not traditional chemotherapy, which is a chemical going in and trying to kill the bad cells faster than it kills your healthy cells. This is, um, you know, a, a, this is a drug being delivered that lets your immune system fight off your own cancer. So it's really a strategic targeted treatment to the cancer cells yes. exclusively. Right. So it's very, they're very targeted in that they target one molecule in, you know, with on a cell um, at a time. Um, but they, and they target, you know, a very specific um, part of the, of immunity called T cell immunity and um, tumors. We think of T cells as the killers that go in and kill the bad cells, but then the, the tumors will develop um, molecules on their surface that, um, um, that will, you know, sort of help to, our, our T cells normally will shut themselves down. They put the, the brakes on the immune response and the tumor can sometimes have molecules that will, um, that will encourage them to put on those brakes so that the T cells don't try to kill the tumor. And so we have drugs that can help to sort of take the brakes off so that the immune system can go ahead, move forward and kill off the, the tumor cells. So it's really your own body doing the job of killing the cells. It's not the drug. The drug is just enabling your immune system to do that. That's amazing. It so, is amazing. So what are the clinical trials and how does one get involved in those? So there are there are always um, several ongoing clinical trials. And so, um, and these are, uh, we certainly have a lot at the University of Pittsburgh um, at our Hillman Cancer Center. Um, but, you know, for patients who may not, if, if somebody who has advanced melanoma, who may not be in the Pittsburgh area, there are cancer centers literally all over the country um, that have these, that have different studies going on. So um, sometimes it's, we're looking at combinations of drugs. So we may have one drug that works well um, and we want to see, well, what happens if we combine two different drugs? Can we get an even better response or can we get a better response and fewer side effects? Um, there are also studies ongoing or upcoming to look at um, patients with earlier stage disease. So, for example, when we first um, started using these therapies, we only used them if you had distant metastases. So, it wasn't just you had a bad tumor in your skin we, um, and it had gone to your lymph node, but it had spread beyond to your, your uh, different, you know, to your organs like your liver, your lungs, your brain. Um, then we found that because these worked well and that they were relatively safe, that we could use them even if the tumor had only spread a little bit, so just to your draining lymph nodes, we couldn't find it anywhere else. And ultimately, the way that um, that these studies are moving, you know, the, the thought is that if it works well for that, maybe we can even find patients before the tumor is detectable in their lymph nodes and when it's just in the skin but at higher risk of metastasis, and then um, consider putting those patients on some sort of therapy or to find all of these drugs can work well but they don't work for everybody there are also studies to try to better target um, I to, to better identify which patients are going to respond the best and have the fewest side effects um, so there's lots of different options. If patients are interested, one of the places that we tell people to look is there's a website called clinicaltrials.gov.gov. That's a site where you can go in and you can type in your, your disease. So you could put in melanoma. 
and you can type in your location. So you could put in Pittsburgh or Houston or anywhere that you were, and it will um, help you to find clinical trials um, for that disease that are enrolling in your area. And they'll give you a little bit of information about um, what stage of disease they might be looking for. Um, so that can be a resource for finding these things. The other thing is, you know, your physician is a great resource. So um, if you have advanced melanoma, um, you know, see, uh, see an oncologist, see your dermatologist, see your oncologist. Um, they can also help guide you to your regional cancer center to find out the therapies or the, the clinical trials that might be available for you and, and to talk about if that's the right option for you. It's not the right option for everybody, um, but, you know, a knowledgeable oncologist can present you with the um, potential clinical trials and um, also with the other therapies that are options too. Well, thank you so much. That's a, a wealth of fantastic information. So I appreciate you taking some time to talk to me today. Thank you very much. It's an important topic, so thank you for covering it. Thank you to our guest, and also stick with us next week. We are going to be talking about the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun, giving you the stories behind the weather and so much more. New episodes every Thursday. Just search for AccuWeather on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or visit AccuWeather.com slash podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.